Welcome to Tech Talk Nation, talking about the latest tech, industry news, and hot topics. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Visit our website at techtalknation.com. Good evening and welcome to Tech Talk Nation. I'm your host, Matt Fitzgerald, and we have a heck of a show for you tonight. We're going to talk about everything ranging from cryptos to robocalls to uh, ham radio hacking rockets, all the way over to um, Microsoft's newest uh, blunder in the tech space. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to get right into the show here. And tonight we are joined by a couple of regulars on the show. We have Matt and Ryan here and uh, super happy to have you guys. How are you guys doing? It's warm outside, boys. The weather's great. <laughs> I did not expect that. I will be I honest with you. We're doing good because it's no longer freezing. Well... Yes, I love that there's not cold outside. I also love there's no snow outside. Um, the warming weather just means we're closer and closer this summer. I'm not sure about you guys. That's my favorite time of the year. But I also like to enjoy a refreshing drink. Now, because we don't have any sponsors on the show, I'm not able to show you uh, the brands here. But hopefully we can get some sponsors at uh, some point later on, you know, as we, as we go through this uh, the show. So um, <laughs> I did temporarily not. we have some, uh, some black tape here, uh, electrical tape. Some um, not brand beer. Some yes, some 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 beverage, a cold refreshing uh, beverage. Ah yes, uh, <laughs> wow. I did not expect that. That was out of left field here. But uh, <laughs> hey, happy oh, to have. Disclaimer: Everyone in this show is uh, twenty-one and older. Um, this is just a beverage, but we do not uh, condone underage drinking. Drink responsibly, <laughs> everyone. This is supposed to be a tech show. <laughs> So anyway, after that, so. <laughs> after that lead off here, Ryan, how have you been? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Great. Uh, you know, the weather's warming up. Uh, as long, it's nice, you know, before it gets too warm. But other than that, you know. Definitely, definitely. Well, uh, without further ado, we have a wonderful show for you tonight. And uh, Matt, you sent me uh, some information about some cool things called NFTs. Mm -hmm. Now, what are those? Yeah, so NFTs are, are really interesting. I personally uh, hadn't heard about them until maybe the past month. Um, there's other podcasts that I listen to, and, and one of them happens uh, to be this one where they started talking about these things called NFTs. Um, and and it, they're, they're interesting. Basically what they are is it's a mix between uh, cryptocurrency and a collectible. So these NFTs, they're called non-fungible tokens, and so, uh, liking, liking, likening, likening, geez, them to crypto, uh, cryptocurrency would be fungible tokens. Uh, they are all the same. They all hold the same value. NFTs are different in that they don't all hold the same value. They're unique and they're all different. So you can have an NFT, uh, of a video of, let's say, for example, LeBron James dunking. You could also have... Uh, an NFT of some sort of art form or a collectible. Um, one example would be like, uh, there, I believe in one of the articles I sent you, there's a link to these like 8-bit drawings and they're some of the most expensive NFTs right now going for uh, thousands upon thousands of dollars. Um, they're backed or they're all based off of Ethereum 
and there's a sort of uh, digital wallet that goes with them. And so you're not able to copy them. You're not able to uh, replicate them, right? They're all unique. Um, and so you have that sort of uh, sort of similarity to a standard sort of medium likening them to like, you know, an art piece or uh, I think, like I said earlier, a baseball card. Um, and so what we're seeing now is there's all of these different new NFTs coming out and they're sort of, I'm not sure what you guys think about this from what you've seen, but I, I, it almost looks like they're creating a sort of a, in, an artificial bubble uh, of sorts with these NFTs as they're going for thousands upon thousands, some hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, some examples of some of the recent NFTs being sent or, or being uh, sold, uh, the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, he's selling the first tweet uh, ever on Twitter, which also happens to be his as an NFT. Um, also recently, I'm not sure if this was sent in, in our chat, but uh, Elon Musk created a video based on a, a music video or, or just a song uh, for his new title as, what is it, Techno King. Um, and that's an NFT that is being sold, I think, for, oh boy, it's eclipsed a few, it's eclipsed a few thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point. Um, it's a emerging new sort of medium uh, for collectibles. Um, to me, it seems like the way the future, I mean, everything's being digitized. Everything already has been. It seems like, uh, collectibles and, uh, media, the new age media would be, you know, the next thing to be digitized. Um, and a lot of these things are already digitized. They're videos, they're clips, they're, they're tweets. Um, and so now basically they're just putting a, a dollar value behind them and giving them sort of uh, backing on the blockchain. Uh, through Ethereum uh, is how they're able to achieve this sort of uniqueness, uniqueness and identity to them. So um, I'm I'm just curious what you guys think about about NFTs, what you've heard, what you've seen about them. I know we have some articles uh, to talk through today on NFTs. You'd be right on that one. Yeah, I know. For yeah. me, <laughs> I, after I we uh, were talking about this a little bit last week and I did a little bit of research and I was watching a couple videos on it and it's really interesting the entire concept of this because there's two kind of types of NFTs you could have you could have a um, basically there's only X copies of this NFT so each copy is valuable and this is what's going on or it's one of those like storefront hey you could buy this collectible type thing um, and it's it's interesting though, especially those limited edition collectibles where it's like, okay, you're owning a digital piece of something, but what is that something and is it worth what you're paying for it? Because like you can go to the store and get a bunch of trading cards or things like that that are collectibles, um, but you'll have a physical thing to show for it. With NFTs, there isn't anything physical to show for it. It is all on the blockchain. It is all um, digital. And the way that people are kind of getting around this a little bit is they're actually using um, NFTs as a kind of certificate of ownership in a way of a physical piece yes. of art now. So, yeah. So the two things that it's being used for is proof of uniqueness and basically proof of ownership. So it becomes like almost a digital way to like distribute exclusive pieces of art and things and prove that like, I own this. This isn't just a picture of a picture, which is 
a little bit of a weird concept, but like I guess no more weird than like if you get a reprinting of the Mona Lisa. Sure. Like you can yeah, almost capture the same thing, but Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because it's it's not just art, right? It's not digital, it's just digital art. It's not just you know a song. It's anything that can be put online or put in some sort of supported file format. Yeah. And so that's how you get things like, you know, potentially, um, you know, the next superstar's first dunk or home run or, I mean, in the first tweet we see here with Jack Dorsey, um, I, I think this has potential to sort of, uh, I don't know, put, put some sort of collectible backing to digital uh services and things it's i don't know it's, it's so interesting and and what the only thing i find interesting too is it seems to be taking off at the same time that the other uh cryptocurrencies are taking off as well ethereum dogecoin whether or not you know it's a meme as well as uh is uh bitcoin so it's really really interesting to see this take off alongside of the uh i don't want to say established but the more, I mean, really is more established cryptocurrencies. Yeah, so NFTs would probably fall into like the, I guess, third level of cryptocurrencies. Like right now you have Bitcoin, obviously at the top, that's the like first big mover. OG. And under that you have Ethereum. And then there's a lot of ones fighting out for third place right now. But right. NFTs are all built off uh, Ethereum anyway. Well, I, I right. wouldn't I wouldn't even technically consider it a cryptocurrency currency per se i'd consider it a crypto asset so in, yeah. in, a, in a way you're you're this non-fungible token is you have proof of this thing and when i was watching a video i believe it was by business insider uh, when i was doing research for this piece um the way non-fungible can be interpreted is basically it's one of those things where it's like if you have a $5 bill, you can exchange that for five $1 bills, but a non-fungible token is that $5 bill is unique and you can't exchange it for anything else that isn't that specific yeah. thing. So that's, that's also interesting to see too. I wonder in the future if NFTs could potentially be used for software licensing or any other way in which um, you can you transfer some sort of digital asset rather than a currency itself. Uh, I don't know if that's the use case for it as much because you could still just have your basic public key crypto cryptography a lot for that. Right. Where you just have a public key that like talks to basically a key manager that will give you access to whatever it is. It's I think it's really the proof of ownership and proof of uniqueness because... I know it's getting used for like crypto-based trading card games. Uh, I've seen a lot of weird uses for it. Like there, it's a crazy, crazy thing. Well, I, I tell like you, you said. Oh, go ahead. Like you were saying, it's not uh, exchangeable for anything. So like, it's not that these things have some value. It's that like it's worth what people are going to pay for them. Exactly. Right. I mean, it's like a, it's like the value of a you know Michael Jordan trading card. It goes yeah. for whatever people will you know yeah. pay for it. Um, it's almost like yeah, like what you were saying about like a superstar's first dunk. I think it's it's almost like a uh, it's like a home run baseball that gets hit out of the park, and then now you have that piece of that game. Like it can almost become like that eventually. Right. Right. I I think I think what this will ultimately do is it's going to spark a new sort of uh, collectible genre 
um, yeah. digital collectibles. And you're going to see more and more of this um, well, down, down the road. This is actually a really graceful transition into uh, this, this next article here about paying for things, that's for sure. Uh, so there's this article from Insider here, Business Insider, uh, that the crypto artist Beeple, or um, in other words, I, I've, let me, sorry, uh, Mike Winkleman uh, sold a piece of crypto art for a whopping $69 million. And there's, there's this article here um, on Insider from basically saying that this one NFT sold for $70 million. And basically what the article is saying is um, people are doing this because of the surge in crypto. They feel as though that they're speculating the value of this art is going to go up in the future. And just kind of a little bit of information about NFTs. Um in a lot of cases, though, they take they really take an interesting perspective on this article because they come at it from more of a investment point of view rather than a um, technology point of view. So I, I kind of want to hear your guys' uh, opinion on that. Uh, Grizzlo, you sent this one in um, and just want to hear what, what's your thoughts about that? Yeah. So and I think you hit it right on the on the nose, too, as a sort of uh, a. Uh... But what was the word you used as a sort of investment? Mm -hmm. No, exactly. Exactly. And think about it. Think about it for a second. This is based off of a blockchain. It's based off of Ethereum, a cryptocurrency. What is cryptocurrency? It's a means to, to transact, you know, with money. But it's also just like a stock, just like a, a collectible. It's an investment. That investment can grow over time. It can gain more value. It could tank in value. It's a risk and reward type thing. But it absolutely is an investment. Um, and I, I really do think that it's going to be this new age um, collectible market where you have, you know, all these different uh, valuations for different types. You can have videos going for more. Um, some of the art pieces may be going for less. Um, the really interesting thing, though, about NFTs is that there is no sort of garden uh garden fence if you will uh for even creating these things so you can get some really interesting uh people and, and creators selling uh their own art their own things that they make uh videos things like that i can i can really actually see um youtubers selling uh very you know famous youtubers people like pewdiepie um potentially you know the paul brothers um selling clips of their videos and, and making a lot of money off it. I could see that being very, very popular down the road. And down the line, you're going to get these people going, oh, man, I remember when Logan Paul did this thing back in the day. And someone can own that or will or have that video or that clip um, of a viral video, potentially, right? So it's the sky's the limit. And we're only getting into this, you know, at the lowest point. It's only going to go up from here. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Ryan, what do you think? I'm sorry. I'm still looking at stuff a little bit because I'm trying to figure out if you can, like, hide art almost behind this. Oh, interesting. Like, that's what, what I'm trying to figure out in my own head right now is whether or not you can, like, hash it into the blockchain and then pull it back down in order to mm. have this, like, piece of art that no one else would have seen. I see. So, like, any form of private transaction in a way. 
Yeah, well, kind of. I mean, like, well, if the file itself is, like, unavailable to anyone but the one who has, like, the key for this NFT. That's that's correct. That's, that's what correct. I'm trying to figure out if that's possible. No, no, that's correct. That's correct. And and that's a big part of why these are becoming popular, right? People yeah. want to take ownership of, of these things right away. And so, as you said uh, earlier, Fitz, um, yeah, there, there are NFTs that aren't unique completely, that aren't one of one. Um, another example, uh, Logan Paul, and I'll bring his name up again because he's really been diving into this NFT thing. I think he really is one of the YouTubers that's on the forefront of, of this uh, uh. emerging uh, genre or, or market. Um, but he, he had an unboxing for some uh, Pokemon cards, um, and their value skyrocketing right now. And he tied an NFT uh, release to it, and it was some sort of digital like uh, card. Um, but they all sold, and I believe there were, I don't know if there were 50 or 100, there were limited release. Um, but most of them that I've seen are one-offs, um, and, yeah. and they're all saved in that digital wallet, and they're only accessible through that digital wallet. If you lose that digital wallet, you lose your NFTs, exactly like crypto. Um, right. It's, yeah, it's, well, so it's very safe. Yeah. It's very, very safe. Um, but it also can possibly be very safe from the owners. So... Right, right. Yeah, just as a like small side note, if you have like decent wallets made by decent companies, usually there's ways of recovering all that. Uh, mm -hmm. You usually have like a very, very, very long like passphrase basically to recover your wallet. But hmm. and yeah. I, I almost think it's there's almost an added security level to this, right? I remember when I was younger, um, I collected baseball cards, and I had a friend who whose dad collected baseball cards. So mine were from you know two thousands you know era. Yeah. His dad were from the 50s and 60s. He had Pete Roses. You know, I, he, I don't know if he had a Babe Ruth. I doubt it. But, you know, he had some very collectible cards. All, all those cards are very popular. But they had a flood um, at some point, And he lost a lot of those baseball cards. Well, guess what? With NFTs, as long as you don't lose the password or able to recover your password for your wallet, you can almost guarantee we'll never lose those NFTs. They will always be there. It's like, it's fireproof. It's theft-proof. I mean, it really is foolproof. Um it's incredible. I, I think the one thing that everyone should be looking for as we continue to, I don't want to say monitor, but see these NFTs and see the rise and popularity grow is if people are really willing to forego the, and, and Fitz, you, I think you mentioned this earlier, uh, if people are willing to forego that sort of physicality of a collectible. I like holding baseball cards in my hands. I like holding things that I own, that I've collected, that I paid a lot of money for. You know, I want it to be tangible um i think you're seeing a sort of culture shift where people don't necessarily need to hold their collectibles in hand as long as they have them in some way or are able to access them in some sort of way whether it be um in their closet at a storage locker in a safe or in a digital wallet i mean that does just kind of parallel the shift away from physical media to digital media though because i mean obviously there's still a huge market for vinyl collectors and all that but if you know 90 plus percent of all music online it's no longer physical uh movies and all that i mean there's still you know people who collect all of it physically but it's really gone uh the direction of digital rather than having the physical media there right right and that's that's one thing that i think 
you could you could wonder if this is just a, a logical step taken because of the technology trends where instead of like on-premise servers and software even now you're seeing these softwares as a service where basically you're paying somebody to do something for you i wonder if nfts are kind of a next logical step because they're taking the service of the trading card industry and basically moving that into online in a way if if you think about it so I think I think the most astounding and maybe one of the best uh, tests of something like this would be if a new age and I don't really know art. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I know art, but I think a big test of this would be if a current very popular artist who makes a lot of art would start selling NFTs one offs. Right. Well, very, yeah. Um, collectible. Funny you should mention I'd be that. Really curious to see how these would uh, fare. Yeah. Um, and if would continue to, well, to do it. Uh, uh, funny you should mention that. Uh, back because in February. Back in February. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's think about Life this next of, article uh, here. Our favorite man. You go ahead, Ryan. You want to you want to talk about that one or? I mean, I'll be real. I'll just say the title basically real quick. The wife of our favorite man, Elon Musk, uh, Grimes, sold a ton of NFTs just this year. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Would, you, would you like to explain or maybe <laughs> expand? Um, I'm trying to find where I have what this was. <laughs> well, in the meantime, though, another great story about NFTs. And Matt, you sent this one in. And you mentioned creativity a little earlier. Uh, mm. This is the definition of creativity in my mind. <laughs> Uh, a New York City man sells a fart for $85, cashing it on the NFT craze. So, a <laughs> basically, the the New York Post, they knew what they were doing 100% when they wrote this article. Um, <laughs> they're spelling art and gifts about a, a fart. And it's Alex Ramirez Mollis uh, said he just wanted to cash in on the craze and one calendar year of recorded farts. <laughs> Uh, that he's been doing for the last year. Um, basically, to get this file, it currently is $183. Um, but these individual recordings, you can buy for $85 a pop. So um, that is a interesting way to interpret the, uh, the NFT trend, that's for sure. I mean, if there's a market, sure. <laughs> you know, anything anything goes right now. Uh, it is insert current year, 2021, and and in a in a current you know world that's still in a pandemic, stuff like this is bound to happen. And I think it also just proves though that anyone can get into NFTs, that you can make money off of NFTs. I wouldn't uh, doubt that people will start making this like a side hustle or potentially a career of of selling NFTs and making NFTs or making content to be sold as nfts right and we're already seeing it now i mean like most things it's worth what people will pay for it exactly and that's what i think the big thing is with especially uh, with the these thing with huge you. things and ryan yeah. did you find that article yes i did find the perfect crimes uh she released 10 pieces of art uh it looks like they were animated videos and each of them were for nfts and she sold about six million dollars worth of art through them jeez Wow, because I was think it, that, I think what kind of art? 
Uh, looks like animated videos. Are we able to or like pull high them up? quality. Probably um, can't do the licensing. Just FYI. Mm. Uh, we'll just leave it be then. I mean, I know that I was watching. I think there like, are, there's like copies on our Instagram. I think. Yeah. Well, and, and I think this is the interesting thing too. Like, yes, you won't be able to get the original file, but as far as I know, there aren't any sort of laws or copyrights or really licensing for like re re showing you you don't own it right you're not gonna have the well, you do own thing. it that's the point but. but it's like taking a picture of of what it is yeah uh, that's the interesting thing that i'm thinking about with it is like you could be the only one with like the good resolution version of this piece of art and like everyone else might be able to have like an HD one, but like the 4K one is like yours and yours alone. Think right. think, think about the uh, stock photo industry. Like for any website or something that you need pictures for, you go and get a stock photo for it. Imagine the NFTs being used for that per se. You're not necessarily buying fine art, but you're buying ownership of a digital asset. Like in this case, a I picture. I guess that's if you want no one to use your. Uh picture ever again well think about the different types of nfts you you could have like unlimited edition ones where you you can only have maybe a hundred of a specific skew of picture per se and only a hundred people are licensed to use this specific picture which therefore yeah. drives value and then you can ch you can transfer that or whatever um or one-off like i own this picture that i'm gonna put on my website so i i mean only time will tell in my opinion of whether this is actually going to be a craze that's going to last past a couple of years or if it's going to die and burn which will be sad i think right. it definitely will uh, i think what will happen is obviously the market's going to shrink until it like finds its niche or niche I forget how that word's actually pronounced. Niche? I but, think. Uh, niche. <laughs> I always say niche. I've been corrected to niche several times. Neither here nor there. I think it's going to, there's obviously going to be this like, you know, huge expansion here at the beginning where all kinds of crazy things are going on. But I think as time goes on, it'll shrink down. It'll find what it's most useful for. And that's going to be where it is. Right. Right. I almost think the opposite. I think it's going to expand and it's going to include other types of, of, content that weren't originally uh being sold oh, yeah. NFTs. I, I think it's actually it's, gonna be more I'm not saying we're in the construction yeah. phase anywhere near that yet. Yeah, you, you what what Ryan I think Ryan's trying to say is we're gonna see I'm talking like the, lifetime the, trajectory. Yeah the spray and pray and then whatever sticks type thing. So Okay. Okay. I yeah I'll, like, I'll agree with that. Um yeah we're definitely still in the expansion phase where like you know more and more things we'll see what we can slap into an nft right yep. right right well that's uh that's definitely an interesting thing we're gonna have to keep an eye on it and uh probably feature in a couple future episodes as well as we're uh looking to see what what's changing here how everything's developing and hopefully hopefully we'll be able to uh one day say we were there when and uh <laughs> this will be a big new thing Maybe we I can sell some of the podcasts as NFTs. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. Ooh. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Hmm. I like that. <laughs> yeah, or, or certain clips of the podcast as NFTs. Or bloopers of our wonderful uh, pre-show <laughs> stuff. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to talk about that one. Hmm. Hmm. Well, something that isn't uh, new and exciting... 
are wonderful spam calls. And in our next article here, um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the FCC doing what the FCC does uh, and patrolling and fining people. Um, so the FCC just enforced the largest fine ever of $225 million against telemarketers who made over 1 billion robocalls. I believe this was in just 2019. Yeah. For massive spamming of spooked robocalls in the U.S. in 2019. Basically, um, this was a Texas company. Long story short, um, they were pretending they were scammers pretending to be Aetna, Blue Cross Blue Shield, and other insurance companies trying to sell insurance and other, like, uh, car stuff, too. Um, lo long story short, you press three, you get transferred to a call center for somewhere, somehow, and they'd scam you. Oh, yeah. Uh, so... Yeah. Um, not... I get the car ones two or three times a week. Oh, yeah, definitely. And <laughs> I, I have to admit, I personally, for me, it's great to see the FCC finally doing something about this problem. There's a doing lot more that needs to be worthwhile. Right. There's a lot more that needs to be done here, but it's a good start. What do you guys think? I Ryan? mean, it's, oh, it's frustrating to me. Like how many calls I've gotten that are like, your insurance is expiring, your you your car is about to lose its warranty, and it's in a state that I've never lived in or, ne or never drove in, rather. It's just, it's insanity. I'm yeah. happy to see the FCC do something useful. Right. I, I think, um, and, and I think the reason why it's so important that the SEC really take a take a hold on these robocallers is that people like like us you know the 20 somethings even 30 somethings and uh, let's say 40 somethings they all understand that people are out to get them and try and trick them and they understand and they know it um the problem is is with the older folks right that they have uh, you know a phone where they're able to be contacted you know multiple times a day or week um by these scammers and it's really unfortunate that they they take the bait and they fall for the uh, the, the I don't want to say it's not pranks, but it's uh, the calls, right? And they get scammed out of a ton of money, and they're just use they're just senseless. It's it's sad and it's really frustrating for me to see those people because they don't know any better. They see a link that they're unsure of, they'll click on it in an email, and if they get a phone call saying that they have to route money. You know, some people will do it without battering an eye. And that's not because that's not because they're naive. It's just they don't know any better. They didn't grow up with this technology. No, so I am glad that the SEC is taking a, a stance on this and is trying to uh, put an end to it. Personally, I don't enjoy getting these calls. And uh, I hope that there is some sort of end put to it. And I think penalties uh, in, in terms of fines is a good way to start. Yeah, it's funny because if it was like a person to person interaction, like, these are the kind of people who would probably, like, pick up immediately that, like, oh, this person's less than trustworthy. Right. But by being able to have, like, all this take place over the phone, you can't see the person's face. Like, all of this, all of a sudden, like, I don't know why, but, like, it becomes easier for, you know, the older generations to fall for this. And and the, the worst part about this, too, is once somebody does fall for a scam from this, like, a telemarketing company like this they get added to another list that basically says, hey, you, we know oh, you're gullible. List. Yeah, we know you're gullible. Oh. So we're just going to keep going and keep oh. going and keep going. 
Um, and it's, it's really, it's really sad. And that's part of the reason too, why I'm, I'm very happy that we're starting to see this too. Um, there was a video released on YouTube, uh, this week as well. Uh, I actually saw this article before this video released, but, uh, fame, relatively famous YouTuber, Mark Rober, uh, released Mm -hmm. a video with one of my other favorite YouTubers, Jim Browning, uh, that basically goes through, um, all of the different, um, they basically broke down a, um, scam, like an insurance or a, a bank fraud scam. And they were trying to get through to, um, figure out who's behind it and all that stuff. Very interesting video. I, I really encourage you to watch it if you haven't already. Um, but it's, it's, it's crazy because this is the, f- one of the first times in my, at least in my opinion, that I've, I've seen a steep fine handed to a telemarketing company rather than, a lot of this other stuff because a lot of these scams are overseas and they're outsourced. Um, so the U S government just kind of is just like, eh, it happens. But with this being the, the, the source of these calls being in the homeland, it's, it's great to see something like that, um, happening. Yeah. That video too was phenomenal. And it sounds like all of us have seen it at this point. I, have. <laughs> I might need to look that up. You're going to have to watch it. Yeah. It's really, good. yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, again, it goes to show just how vulnerable people or the older people are. And I'm not saying that is a sort of like disparaging comment. Um, and, and not as a broad blanket statement either. It's, and I don't, again, yeah. I don't want to say it's fact, but it, these people are just more susceptible. Um, oh to yeah. To that. I'm of, sure like all of us would probably be more susceptible to someone hustling us in a game of pool, you know? Yeah, like I'm sure they'd be able to pick on that, pick up on that better than us because that's you know, they probably just have more people experience because they're not like as tied to digital stuff as all of us are. Yeah, and again, I think it just goes back to they they didn't grow up with it. They don't have a lot of like just time and experience um, with it, and that's where you you see this big problem. That video is phenomenal. I suggest everyone you know go watch it, educate yourself, take a look, and I think. at the end of the video, uh, Mark Rober does uh, say to send the video to, you know, anyone that you think would be uh, affected by something like this, anyone that could potentially be taken advantage of so that you can educate them to know what to look for uh, in a call, in an email that you get that's sort of phony and a fishy, you know, email or, or call and how to, uh, to try and handle it. You know, obviously he has this way of handling things and he tracked people across the country all the way back to India to the call center. Um, but yeah, educate, you know, your, your grandparents and maybe some of your parents about things like this. If this isn't already, uh, you know, been discussed at, at home, it, it, this is a great conversation to have with your parents. Um, you're teaching something to them, you know, your grandparents and, and you're keeping them safe. Yeah, and that that goes, in my opinion, that goes even for any any form of email or stuff like that. Like, oh yeah, um, any any email that looks too good to be true, it probably is. And especially with a lot oh, of not the, even the, that. Go ahead. I was just gonna say any like thing that says like, "Hey, you need action needed. This security, anything." You click out of the email. You go to the website. You know, through your browser instead of the email. Exactly. Like that, I think, is the best operating procedure is never click the link, go to the website directly. And right. And I think another thing, too, specifically for phone calls, if they don't leave a voicemail and they just keep spam calling you, they're not someone that you want to talk to. There's someone, it's someone that's trying to scam you, take your money or do something that you're not going to want. So if they don't leave a message, 
if you don't have your contact information already in your phone, don't try and reach out to them. But the Nigerian prince needs my help. <laughs> and and I'll be honest too, I'm I'm victim as and as well as uh, someone who's fallen victim to it. Uh, and especially uh, wow, specifically for emails. Um, I just started a new job two months ago, and within the first I don't know two weeks, um, I had been trying to get a new laptop, and I had been corresponding with the person at Eli Lilly as well as with my own company. And uh, I was waiting on some packages and waiting on uh, some emails telling me about, you know, when I should be getting all of my packages. And I actually did get a phony email from UPS with, you know, a tracking number and all of this. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I absolutely did fall for it. And uh, my project manager had to be the one to tell me, a 23-year-old that thinks he knows everything and knows a phony email or a phony, you know, call from a non-phony email or call that you know, it, was, it was fake. Um, so it absolutely humbled me and it made me more aware of, you know, how I respond to calls and, and messages so that I know that I'm, I'm keeping myself safe and not endangering, you know, me. Yeah. They've gotten really good at it. Yeah. And this is, this is a basically an entire department in a lot of it companies. It's phishing. Uh, they, they call this phishing with a PH instead of an F, uh, what they're, what they're, yeah, what what they're trying to do is they're via these emails and other things, as like phone calls, emails. They're trying to social engineer you and trick you into doing something that you're not supposed to do, or giving up credentials or anything like that. Yeah. And unfortunately, due to the recent data breaches at a lot of email companies as well, um, people now have email lists uh, and usernames and passwords. And I'm even seeing emails now where people are sending. Um, spam emails that say, we know your password is this. Uh, please send $150 in Bitcoin to prevent you from getting hacked and scaring people. Wow. And stuff oh, I like got that. one of those. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, same here. They even had my password right, which was interesting. Yeah, and that's because of those wow. breach those breach databases. They're able to pull out those plain text passwords from, from that database and then just send it to you and be like, hey, we know your password, even though they really... They did at that that specific moment, but if if anybody's like me, at least as soon as I see something happened at that company, I immediately go and change that password. So oh, I just ignored yeah. it and changed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess as a, as a yeah as a general PSA too. I know on iPhone, if you go into the uh, password manager or whatever, um, they'll tell you if your password has been part of a data breach already or if you have a password that's too easily uh guessed and they'll suggest that you change it and this is for all of your passwords that you save in your phone so if you're someone who saves a lot of passwords like myself on their iphone uh you're able to go check that i'm not sure what it's like on android i'm assuming they also have some sort of uh safeguards right. for that there's actually I that similar. yeah i don't use a manager though i enter everything in by hand because i'm paranoid Jeez, <laughs> I, I, another uh, another sort resource that's out there for this is the website Have I Been Pwned? Uh, P W N E D dot com. Uh, Have I Been Pwned? Uh, and basically, what that is is it lets you put in an email. Don't worry, it's okay. Um, put in your email address, and then it'll basically show you wherever that email address appears in data breach lists. So it'll say, "All right, oh. this email was part of uh, this data breach, this data breach, and this one." So this like change your passwords pretty much 
Um, but yeah, that's, that's a big, big thing now. And, uh, just being conscious with all of these robo calls and all the people who are just out to get you, um, is really important as we get even into more technological advancements and stuff like this. People, people are trying new things, changing up the way they're trying to scam you, but they're, they're trying. It's not necessarily the Nigerian prince anymore. It's like, Hey, we have a COVID (laughs) vaccine for you. And yeah. people hand over all their their personal information. So, yeah, yeah. The Nigerian prince is a classic joke, but they've gotten very good at, you know, pretending to not be nefarious. Right. Right. All righty. Well, <laughs> moving on from something a little more kind of kind of breachish, I guess you'd say. Um, there in this last couple weeks, there was a couple of Reddit posts that came out that said that um, two users were able to decipher the second stage GPS signal from the Falcon 9 rocket. So basically, they were able to receive the GPS location of the individual um, stage of the rocket. And this is a really cool article on RTLSDR.com. Uh, um, long story short, what they did is they actually used off-the-shelf equipment and a radio, uh, a two-meter-wide uh, dish, and a um, normal SDR receiver that you'd find with any ham radio or any professional uh, radio transmitting equipment, and were able to basically just decode the the straight, um, basically log of the rocket. And that's super cool, in my opinion. Uh, but I'm not sure what you guys think about that. What do, what do you guys think? Ryan, you go first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's crazy to me. Uh, when you, you first put this up, I was just, like, stunned that it's not encrypted at all. It's just open data. And if you have the correct, like, machinery and whatnot, you can just pull it from the radio waves. Right. But, yeah, it's definitely interesting to be able to see it. Uh I don't know. I assume they need the telemetry to like make real time adjustments. So maybe it's a issue of latency and whatnot, and they don't want to take the time to encrypt and decrypt it every time they want to like see what's going on with the rocket. Right, because seconds in space can mean miles off. So yeah, that's my only guess as to like why you wouldn't encrypt that, or maybe they just saw the telemetry data as just unimportant. Yeah, the first thing I think of when you say two. Reddit users were able to decode the telemetry of a rocket is how is there not security that's able to firewall or protect against outside people from from getting that information and I just think of it as sort of like a, a waterfall effect or a domino effect um, you know you're able to get the telemetry what other data are you able to get I at least me if I was running a, a rocket company you know one that's got a lot or should be getting a lot of government contracts. I'd be doing a lot of uh, thinking and a lot of working with my team to make sure that, you know, the general public is not able to gather this information. Now, if they're supposed to publish this information, um, you know, because of laws or regulations, that's one thing. But if two average Joes from, you know, I don't know, Kentucky are able to to hack in and, and get this information, that makes me a little uneasy, uh, especially with 
where SpaceX is going. Um, Mars. It, it does make me a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, and it's. Uh, I mean, it's not so much a hack as much as they just pulled the signal from the air. Right. Yeah. You it, and that's that's part of the thing too. Like this, this kind of spurred a little bit of an interest for me at least. And uh, I'm I'm fully ham radio licensed. Like I c- I can do all this stuff. And I was able to kind of do a little more research, and I figured out, wait a second, this is exactly similar to like how a um, satellite, like a weather satellite, you can receive the data off a weather satellite. So using the same technology and SDR, which stands for software defined radio, basically. What I was like, I'm like, hey, I could do this too. And basically, if you set up an antenna and an SDR, you can pull data off of almost anything in orbit, given the right software and equipment, uh, an antenna setup and all that. But like in my use case, I'm going to be starting a project soon where I actually can pull weather data directly off of the satellite which is really cool because all that's doing is that's just broadcasting out the data and anybody who picks it up, picks it up. And that's exactly yeah. what, what SpaceX is doing here. So, yeah. So like for open information where it's like not important that it gets like that it's private basically. So like weather data, I mean, I don't, that's not the most important thing for other people to not get like that just works fine. Right. Uh, I'd assume like anything that's like, you know, a lot more important, they encrypt the signal beforehand before they, you know, slap it on a radio wave. Right. Granted, granted, this is only the the uh, GPS and a little bit of debug commands, it looks like. It says, like, yeah. uh, it says the GPS location, some stuff about sl- system slate share, whatever that may be, and some uh, ephemeral stuff. Um, but it's it's just interesting, though, because um is that something that people should be able to receive is that okay and like like grislow you mentioned earlier if if you have to broadcast that because of a law or something like that a hundred percent i remember reading something i think there may be some regulation with like uh counter espionage or something like that where you like have to broadcast something but it's it's one of those things where um I I don't know. I I think it's cool either way. Somebody was yeah. able to pick up this thing that like just satellites in general are cool. Like we are able to pick up the thing transmitting signal from very 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 far away. So Oh yeah. I mean, well, the thing is though, like all that applies to everything you interact with on like a small daily basis, you know. Right. Like you can pick up whatever someone else's cell phone is sending all the time everywhere. It's just usually that information's encrypted, so you can't do anything with it without usually some kind of, uh, you know, the key, basically, for the encryption. Right. Right. You're just going to have a bunch of worthless ones and zeros. So. Yeah. Right. And that's, and that's why I pose that question. Like, is, is this information that should be shared? And, and if it is, fine. But are all yeah. of SpaceX's systems, other systems that should be encrypted or should be hidden from the public, are they safe? Um, I got to imagine That's a big is. question that right. I have to you know, go back and answer. I'd have to imagine it is. Uh, for a test flight, the fact that it's putting out its GPS, uh, that doesn't seem like there's a whole lot you can do with that information unless you're trying to shoot it down, which I don't know. Right. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it might be one of those things where 
you know, it's, it's the only means of communication or, you know, communication protocol they have for that instance or for that test. And realistically, that information really isn't, you know, worth much or won't lead to much if it's received or hacked or whatever word you want to use. Yeah. Um, I, I just think of the risks associated with something like that, not knowing much about the background. Right. Yeah, I got to assume, you know, all the engineers at SpaceX have good enough heads on them to know what needs to be private and what can be public. Well, the, funny you mentioned that because this actually transitions <laughs> oh, no, very did I just well. Transition us? Yes, you did. Right into the next story. So the next story, speaking about engineers with good shoulders on their head, a SpaceX engineer dark web uh, basically was going on the dark web and doing some insider trading. <laughs> Long story Beautiful. short, a a I, we didn't even plan that. That was wonderful. Uh, James Rowland, a 33-year-old SpaceX engineer, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit securities fraud. Basically, long story short, um, he was selling uh, profit numbers and other basically speculation on how SpaceX is doing overall uh, to different traders on the internet basically what his entire shtick was is he sold tips to people and if the tip didn't work out you got another tip for free um so long story short he is uh just kind of he kind of got <laughs> sec found out he sold it to a wrong person and uh they were able to, to nab him and uh how did they catch him it just says did they just did it seem like they could just trace where the tips were coming from? It that's the thing. It says um it says uh the SEC's attention to the dark web comes as law enforcement agencies more broadly have cracked down on illicit activity there. Uh the what is it? Uh they're talking about like how basically they're in like investigators and stuff like that are taking the internet down from the inside. Like they're becoming moderators on things and doing stuff like that. And then kind of doing it, being a double agent in a way. Um, so it's, it's interesting though, because I, I'm not sure exactly how they, they found this out. And this article from wired doesn't go into too much technical detail on that. It's more so the, the overview of what kind of happened here. Hmm. So I'm not sure what you guys think about that. I mean, you probably shouldn't do insider trading. Definitely not on the dark. No, 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 no. Let's let's uh, no, no, no. Let's make that an absolute. You shouldn't do insider trading. Yes, you shouldn't do insider trading. That was meant sarcastically as a yes. um, <laughs> as a word of wisdom and a tad bit of dry humor. Uh, but yes, we are not financial advisors. The obligatory post <laughs> that we have to say like every yeah. episode now. Um, but yeah, don't insider trade. Period. Yeah. I gotta do some looking into that on my own time because I want to know how they caught him. Right. So I wonder if it's not uh, similar. I don't know if you guys remember the Silk Road. Uh, mm -hmm. Does that ring a bell with everyone? Yeah. No. Basically, the Silk Road was a uh, company online where you could anonymously purchase drugs over the internet. Oh. With instructions how to vacuum pack, how to avoid it getting caught in the mail. Like it was a very detailed scheme. It was very they did all well their around. trading in crypto. That's one of the reasons crypto got a sketchy reputation to start with. But anyway, the point is the guy who was running it, uh, 
I forget his actual name, but I know his screen name's uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they, they were trying for years to figure out who ran this site, who did this, and they eventually caught him, I guess, because they found uh, one of the moderators on the site's public username matched some guy asking for like code help way back in the day, and they managed to like put two and two together and figure out, oh, that's the guy. Yeah, they and the funnier thing too is they like they like showed up in like a library and just like arrested this oh, guy out they of the had, library. They got like no no, it's way different than that. Well, yeah, they did arrest him out of that library, but they had like ten agents around him to like get his passwords basically for things. Wow. And like so, they had like five or six agents around him, start a fight, distract him, so they could get a keylogger onto his computer. So they could have the passwords to get access to uh, the website itself. Hmm. That whole thing is a crazy story. I'm sure there's got to be a documentary on it somewhere. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm sure one just came out. There was a whole move for him to get pardoned as well. Ah. Well, there's already one for GameStop on Hulu. That quick? The GameStop stuff? Really? Huh. That's Mm -hmm. not done. Yeah, that's not done yet. yesterday. Y'all think it's going to the moon? We'll see. I mean, it's interesting. That's that for AMC? sure. Someone texted me the other day, or I think it was like Thursday, and they're like, Are you buying AMC? I was like, no. no I won't no. lose money. Listen. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm I not make in a financially bets. hard position, but I also am not, you know, to risk it, but yeah. I'm also not in the position to just throw money at risky uh assets i mean i throw long-term bets on risky assets never short short term because uh i don't want to pay the uh i forget what the tax is it's like almost 50 percent for like anything that doesn't that you don't hold for a whole year Hmm. right but yeah cool yeah wall street bets is a crazy place though I'll, that is that. for sure <laughs> i think it's already been proven this year it's uh, insane they January have their, that they wall have, street bets is a crazy place they have their own language almost yes yeah for like how to go about everything like you have tendies you have spy puts and calls you have uh the bear the gay bear is what they call it it's insane right and you, you know, know but anyway you know what else is another another crazy place uh twitter Twitter is another very crazy place. Uh, and another beautiful transition. I, I forget which one of you guys sent in this article, but basically Twitter con- is confirming it's testing an undo tweet feature, but it could be limited to professional tweeters. And basically right. this article goes into a bunch of detail about, all right, uh, it's like somebody found a um, subscription page for like a uh, Twitter subscription or something along the lines of that. And Matt, I think you, you sent this one in. Uh, what were yep. your thoughts on that? I think it's, uh, it's about damn time. Um, you know, I don't really use Twitter to be honest with you. Um, but it's about damn time. Twitter, Twitter needs some sort of undo function <clears throat> specifically because in, in the way that Twitter has grown since, you know, it's founding, it's it's all reactionary. It's you're, you're limited to a certain amount of characters, so you got to get out what you're saying in that you know 160 characters or whatever it is. Um, and I think as a result of that, 
people get caught up in, in what they're saying and, and not really realizing what they're saying. They don't, they don't really take a, a mental check on themselves. It's either, you know, an angry tweet or right after something happens, it's reactionary. Twitter is absolutely a reactionary uh, platform. And so to give users the ability, to, you know, it, from what I saw, and you might be able to play the video on the article. Um, it's like a maybe, GIF or something, but it, it shows it shows the actual uh, the function where it has a uh, a bar, a loading bar. But instead of counting up, it counts down. Yeah, there it is. All right. Let me pull up this tweet here. Yeah. So this is an example of exactly what ah, you'd be seeing. Okay. Yep. So you have a certain amount of time to uh, undo that tweet, right? So huh. you, you, it, it really does give you uh, a pause and, and a second to really think about what you're saying. I can only imagine if this was applied to a certain uh, previous or past president, if... Uh, that feature would have been utilized more and uh if that could have uh fanned the flames on that past president's use of of that social media platform so people not just proofread well i mean again like i said i I think it's it's very useful for this specific platform let's let's take a look for a second on the the platforms right social media you've got snapchat where you, you take a picture and you send it right um i would say it's pretty reactionary it's in the moment uh instagram glorified likes well hold on, hold on. The, post- i will say this that's different about snapchat snapchat's an interpersonal one sure rather sure, than sure. like everyone gets a public view of what you're putting out sure sure. which i think gives it a very different feel than like twitter and instagram which toxic yeah but but that's where that, that's where i'm exactly going with this right instagram the glorified likes it's you know it's a public is as, as you kind of just said and uh and then twitter well i guess facebook but i I use facebook i'm always uh lambasted by my family about using uh facebook specifically by my brothers both in in college and high school i don't think they got you bent over a barrel with your data (laughs) they give me a lot of uh flack for it but but then you get to twitter and like i said twitter is absolutely a reactionary type platform and it goes out quick it's meant for short quick announcements, messages, all of the sort, right? Having a sort of undo feature or or a feature that you're able to um, to use that would be like, hey, are you sure you want to put this out there? And you see this this loading bar go to, you know, count down to zero or, or the end, and then it disappears and goes. Um, I wish it was a standard feature. However, it, how it's being billed is it's a subscription feature, right? So only for power users. Oh, I assumed it'd be a checkmark feature. Now, th- yeah, that's it's... that's the thing. In this article, it says um, an app subscription for paid features like undo tweet. Uh, Twitter said if the feature would be... Oh. Twitter hasn't said if the feature would be limited to paying customers yet. It's possible it's not far along in the development. Um, and it's... It's interesting to see if this is actually going to be a thing because then it's also going to bring to light, all right, are people going to be willing to pay Twitter to have these features enabled on an account and how yeah. will that how will that affect the, the climate of Twitter in general? Well, this isn't quite, um, I, I don't want to say it's news, but it's, it's not quite new. Um, Twitter did put out sort of poll to users uh, asking them if they would be open to paying for certain features and this is absolutely a result of that survey and they they absolutely have a base that will be willing 
to pay for certain uh, features that not everyone has uh, access to. Right. Right, right. I don't know, yeah. Twitter's toxic. I think the reason they don't have an edit button is because it's such a reply-based site, all of a sudden it changes the context in which everyone else's replies uh, work to the original tweet. I don't believe this is an edit button per se, more or less a sanity no, it's check before you post. Tweet it. mm-hmm. right. It's a don't tweet this. I'm saying that's probably why they haven't gone the full step of making an edit button. Right. It's because it is a very reply-based site. Exactly. I, I, they really need to have that. I don't know a single. I think it's a, I don't know. I think it doesn't work sort of because Twitter is so sent, short right? and reply based. I, I agree with Ryan on this one. the The point of Twitter is to be brief and concise in what you post, and in a way, that's the the benefit of their platform. That you you can you can get in some heated Twitter argument with somebody and just have a thread of 45 different replies underneath something. And that'll be what they're thinking at that moment. It's not a, 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 I, 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 I don't want to say filtered. You can retextual, we can textualize. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not going to be a filtered view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, the only reason that I I think I'm undo instead of, or they have undo and delete, no edit. The only reason that I think I'm taking a, a different view on this from, from you guys is only because as not a power user, but just as a everyday Joe on Twitter, um, just as you would proofread an, like, an email or make sure you, you want to write the right email before you send it to a coworker um, or like a text. God, I wish there was an undo send button uh, for a text. I can't say how many uh, spell check errors I would have um, that I have on a typical, you know, daily basis for 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 texting. If I had that button, that feature in iMessage right now, or even GroupMe or whatever, that would be phenomenal. I, I, I see one. this as a sort of like, you know, I miss I mistyped or whatever, and I can I can go back and I can fix it. Not as a uh, like a, a revision of what I said or a clarification of what I had posted, you know. And that's that's the purpose of this this tool in a way. It's basically to be like, hey. Um, oh, I made a typo or, oh, I may want to rephrase this a little bit. Um, but I still see Ryan's point too, where it's like the, you, what's the point of having either editing or any form of capability at that point, because it dulls the impact of the tweet per se. Like if somebody, if somebody tweets when their favorite team wins, they're like, oh my gosh, my team won with like a billion typos and 40 exclamation points. I feel like that captures the emotion of that tweet a lot better than somebody being like, congratulations on this team for winning. You know what I mean? No, it's the for me. It's the reply based thing. Honestly, though, I don't really have a dog in this fight. Uh, all social media is toxic. Get off it. Alrighty, that's my that's my message to everyone. It's not good for you. Please, Alrighty. I'll let you in on that one. I don't really use Twitter, but um, I don't use I, anything. I think it's a good it's idea. just uh... I like the idea. I just wish it wasn't a exclusive feature. For yeah, sure. I mean, I get why. I get. I understand the why. It's just the like every bit of research that's ever gone into like its effect on like whether or not it's good for you is like almost a hundred percent like no nah, this isn't good for you yeah and i guess as like a as a end cap to this too every, the majority of other social media platforms that involve any sort of description or, or whatnot and they have a delete function they have an edit function twitter doesn't so i think that this would be a great way to 
sidestep having to add an edit function. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I think interpersonal ones are probably fine. Right. Like be- between like messages a, a, and direct and messages. As a small revision of what I just said, like a person to person to person social media is probably fine. It's that public thing where I think things uh, get a little, end up a little toxic. Yeah. 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 Alrighty. Well, we got to transition over to the next article here. And Ryan, you sent this one in. It was about uh, India's. India. Yeah. In India. Yeah. The cryptocurrency community in India is preparing for a ban. You want to explain that one a little more? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can be brief. There, it looks like there's a bill in the works to just basically criminalize the use of crypto. Hmm. Like trading it, owning it, mining it, all that. It looks like it might get criminalized. Uh, I was more putting this there as just an avenue to talk about why uh, crypto is uh, very resilient. <laughs> Right. And we, we discussed that a little bit earlier because the fact it's all decentralized and stuff like yeah. that. We touched on it for the NFTs and how like your passwords and all that become like, you know, they're a lot of your stuff's on the blockchain. So you're fine. Right. And that blockchain like the is point of this shared. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The point I was going to end up making with this more or less is just like, because you can ban crypto and you can say you shouldn't, you can't own any of this stuff. But what can happen is, what do you do to stop that? Well, you ban, I guess, websites to do that. But the problem is some of these websites are completely decentralized. So you can get access to them from a bunch of other places. Uh, you can basically get your wallet set up out of like a different server. I was really just trying, I really kind of brought this in to say like, this is a bad thing. They shouldn't do this. But also like, because it's so resilient, you can get around it in so many different ways. So even if they follow through with it, it'll probably end up being mostly ineffectual. Yeah. And I think the funny thing, the funny thing about all of it is is this point here. This is a decentralized currency that a centralized power is trying to eliminate. Is that a surprise (laughs) to anyone? Uh, No. (laughs) I mean, think about it. A government does not want a decentralized currency. They want control. So yeah. if they don't like this decentralized entity, they'll ban it. And it is banned. It just is because it's the yeah. government. I mean, right. that's definitely something I've talked about before is like what crypto does is it takes the ability to artificially inflate and deflate currency out of a government's hand. It's always the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's I just think it's so laughable and so funny that. And very, you know, this is the way that it was eventually going to get to where a a foreign government is trying to get rid of a currency that they have no control over. They have no way to manage it. They can't really put any sort of restrictions um, or regulations on it. Yeah, I think the only government that would actually have success with that is probably China, but that's just because they already have such a huge infrastructure for modern internet modern people like all that's already in place the social credit store like i think they're the only ones who could even have success doing that monitoring or censoring yes (laughs) because there is a difference it's it's both though (laughs) right on another note i'm actually I'm going to actually just derail and go to another story right now. <laughs> oh, you don't want me to talk about China? 
I, I mean, we, we'd be here until tomorrow if you started that <laughs> discussion. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for future. Nation, not China Talk Nation. But well, China produces a lot of technology. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> speaking of that, uh, Nvidia. There is a. Uh, I have this article I found uh, from VideoCardsWithAZ.com uh, that a a uh, Russian modder VIK-On uh, provided a walkthrough video on how to add another eight gigs of memory to an RTX 3060 or or excuse That's me awesome. a 3070. Uh, so basically, he just straights up, straight up desolders the chips on the um, on the card itself and replaces them with two gigabyte modules instead of one gigabyte modules uh, that are produced by uh, Samsung. Yeah. So basically, he re- replaces them with two gigabyte DD- GDDR6 modules instead of uh, one gigabyte ones. So. I don't know about you guys, but I love seeing when people are able to um, make cool advancements and change the technology that they're working with. And the coolest thing about this, too, is he actually made videos showing how other people can do this as well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the big disclaimer, though, is that uh, you would not recommend this to the everyday user. Or I would even say some of the most of the power users. Oh, this is I mean, incredibly the same dangerous. Reason why, yeah, I mean, this is the same reason why you have warranties on your phone saying if you open up the phone to try and, you know, do any DIY things to it, you're going to avoid the warranty. Um, and so when people want to do their pet projects, like adding a glowing Apple logo to their iPhone or trying to add more RAM, um, and it's not just iPhones, it's so many more consumer electronics um, you bear the risk and you assume the risk of voiding your warranty, um, ending up with a product that doesn't work. I think it's, it's very cool, but also it needs to be said that not, not everyone has the tools to do it. Um, and not everyone should be doing this. I mean, it's your graphics card, you know? Yeah. If you think you can take the risk and pull it off, like it's amazing. Definitely, definitely, and I'm just kind of going ra- going rapid fire here, and probably going to close off with uh, the next two stories here. The next story, real quick, when you have your GPU now that has 16, 16 gigs of RAM, chances are you're going to want to play a game on it, and what better game to play on it than GTA? But Grand Theft Auto has a problem for a lot of people that play it. Grand Theft Auto Online takes forever to load into the world, load into Los Santos there. Uh, but a modder for um, GTA actually was figure, figured out how to fix that problem. And he got 10 grand as a reward for that. And um, basically, Rockstar gave them uh, 10 gave the user T0ST $10,000 for basically figuring out the um, the issue with the load times. So they, they told um, Rockstar what the, the issue was, and they fixed it. And I'm, I know it makes a lot of users, users happy, and that's, a, in a way, a benefit of the modding community, in my opinion. They're able to help with, with things like that. What, what are you guys' thoughts on that? I think they should have given them more, quite frankly, because this is going to get, this was, I promise you, this was almost certainly going to be a bug. 
that would continue over into GTA, what is it, 6? Yeah. I don't play GTA, I don't know. But, uh... Whatever that may be. <laughs> I promise you that bug would have carried over. So, like, I, I almost want them to have given him more, because he probably fixed one of their biggest issues for them. Right, and, and this game generates so much money for them. Like, this is their Rockstar's, I'd argue, main oh. title. So Are you kidding? That online casino that they got running there, I can't even imagine the money they get from it. I, I think it's so cool when companies like that involve the greater community and try and bring them in and try and get their help to uh, fix bugs and problems. I honestly wish more companies would do that. It only makes a better product for the uh, end user. And, uh, you know, the reward obviously is, is good for, for that, that modder. Um, it, it should be a standard thing in the industry. I don't know why more companies don't do it. Um, you know, you, you can have a team of 200 people working on a video game. And you can have all 200 people miss one bug. One bug that could mess it all up. That could lead to long loading times, you know, whatever that might be. So I, I applaud <clears throat> applaud them for doing it, and I, I hope that more companies will do it. This is not the first time it's the happened. Actual, the actual paying them, I think, is what makes a difference. Because, like, right. the reason Skyrim is still playable is because the modding community has given that game, you know, nine more lives. Yeah, no, I, I think it's awesome. But I, I do think it needs uh, to continue. I think more companies need yeah. to do it. Um, and actively do it. I, I don't think it's like, okay, we have a problem. How do we fix it? I, I really do think that every company, whether it's software, hardware, you know, has a contest every year where it's like, okay, take a look at our products. Take a look at our software. If you can come up with a fix to a problem, then we are willing to give you, you know, X amount of dollars. Yeah, it's the willingness to crowdsource, but they have to open their code to people, which is companies don't like doing that a lot of a lot of companies this have true a lot of companies do have bug bounties though where basically if you find oh, yeah. security exploits and stuff like that um you'll be able to like mainly this is mainly for security things um you'll be able to basically um submit that bug and then they could choose whether or not to award it to you, like award you the money and if they don't, a lot of these these security researchers will actually send it to the community and then the, the company will be forced to patch it either way whether or not they actually get their money so oh yeah mm -hmm. right and i mean it's 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 interesting though uh with all the the security stuff going on and this is actually a very logical transition to our last story for today uh we are rolling on these are, transitions. Yeah, honestly. Uh, Microsoft had a cloud authentication outage oh, this weekend. This week. Uh, Azure was down on Tuesday. Um, basically, for all of the... Um, excuse me. It was down for, um, gosh, what? Four hours or so? Um, on, on Tuesday, basically, you weren't even able to... Um, do anything or log in or any of that stuff. And they're attributing it basically to uh, the rotation of keys used to support Azure AD's open ID and other identity stuff, basically to sign the, the request. So basically uh, when a user um, signs in, they need to get the key back that says that they're good or they're not good. Um, and that was kind of what was broken there. Uh, I, Ryan, I know you have a ton of experience with the uh, all of the uh, encryption and stuff like that. Encryption not, and stuff like that. Ton. 
Whoa. Whoa. That was weird. Sorry, I just got like a ton of feedback. Oh, yeah. same here. No worries. Well, I don't want to call it a ton, but like I understand enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, what is it again? Yeah, basically the, uh... their open ID just wasn't doing the yeah, right key you. exchange. Yeah, that's a big issue to have. Uh I don't know how they were like sending out the wrong keys and all that. Uh that's crazy when that happens when basically you think every person sending you or you, when you yeah, so you exchange keys at the beginning of a uh connection to a server basically to make sure everyone's who they say they are and everyone has access to the correct things. And when you show them the, you know, bad key, you get turned down and I mean I don't know how they how you mess that up. Like all these key exchanges are very, very standardized algorithms. I've written probably two or three of them this year alone. Like just as like proof of you know how to do this, not even like to use. Right. And that's that's one thing too, where it's like, all right, this is a multi billion dollar company here that has has somehow messed this up like is it is it a problem with their workflow is the problem with their integrations like like that is a pretty major problem and it cut off access i know i was impacted with it i wasn't able to use teams or log into azure or do anything for at like good three four hours and uh microsoft luckily was able to revert back around five o'clock eastern and uh i was able to get in about about six o'clock eastern um but it was it was one of those things where it's like that's that's nuts to think about like they just completely killed off their product by by something happening rel relatively simple mm. yeah it sounds like it's in a key exchange and that one has been I think it's usually like some form of SHA that's been around for a while. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I know I was having some issues this week. I don't know if it was on Tuesday or not when they had the outage, but I know I was having some issues with some of the Microsoft products. I don't know about you, but I've been having this weird issue with my inbox trying to uh, update and it just won't. Um, I, I put in a service request. To Welcome to Outlook. People. I, I asked, I put in a service request over a week ago. I still have not gotten a response back on whether or not it's been fixed. I don't know if it's really been fixed. It's it's frustrating, but yeah, no. When uh, when a company that is service oriented can't keep their services going, uh, that's a problem. <laughs> right. 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 Oh, okay. I'm looking into this real quick. I think they started to like struggle to find new keys almost. Oh, really? It seems like they weren't, like, because you purge session keys periodically. Right. Just because, like, you're no longer using the session key. And All it... marked as retain for a really long time, it seems like. Oh, okay. So basically to kind of just just bring that uh, to a little, little more context here, whenever you log into something, you get a session key. And that session key is unique for the entirety of that, that session. What, however long you're logged in, you're identified by the specific key. And you can run out of those at one point. It's highly unlikely, but we're also talking about a company as big as Microsoft. So that that is a that is a problem. And it's one of those things where now will they have to change that standard to be able to get more keys. So... Who knows? 
I don't think it was new keys. It was they were marking keys to retain. It looks like. Oh, okay. They they made mm. a move over to something new, that changed the metadata so that. Oh. So oh, it was okay. a shift. So when they made their shift a... over, they mm. took. It looks like they took the keys out of the. Uh, system. Hmm. So it looks like everything was signing with the old keys, not the new ones. Oh, mm. okay. So it was just poor transition on Microsoft's part to their new yeah. uh, protocol. It was a get pushed too soon. <laughs> or get pulled too soon, rather. Right. Huh. Stopped using tokens assertions that were signed with a removed key. Hmm. Huh. The more you know. Well. Interesting. Anyway, I'm sure that okay. gives us some stuff to think about as we're going into the next week here. Um, we still had a couple articles to talk about. We'll probably bump those over to next week so we can uh, uh, talk about those guys as well, because this has been a very long episode for tonight so far. But uh, definitely want to thank Matt and Ryan for coming on tonight. Thank you guys so much for your input, as always. Um, we're going to be back uh, sometime next week for another episode. And uh this is always a pleasure to have you guys on and uh, thank you all for tuning in to listen to tech talk nation and uh, have a great week. Thank you guys. Thank you for listening to tech talk nation. Tune in next week for more discussion on the latest in tech.